Boom. We're connected. Here comes music. It's changing, Alvin. It's changing, and maybe for the better. We got to wait and take it one day at a time. See how it turns out. That's kind of what we do around here. Try and force the issue if possible, and uh, maybe make the bad guys blink. So uh, it's the Friday edition, twenty fourth of February. Always got to get that pronounced correctly. February. Roger Sales, your host. Radio Ranch, our get together label. We are streaming on numerous places, but the main two I always remember are EurofolkRadio.com, of course, and uh, Radio.GlobalVoiceRadio.Net Network, and probably a couple others it seems like Mouse has got us hooked up with, so hopefully if you're listening there, welcome. Uh, Friday edition, normally we have, almost always actually, Brent Winters with us. Brent, you make it yet? Mm-hmm. All right. Well, in the cases when Brent doesn't make it, we tap dance. You know, it's like the old movie, dance, <laughs> dance. All right. So we're going to have to dance. Um, we could dance tango. Um, I got a chance to watch that video last night on the uh, train wreck that uh, one of the gals was talking about this week, and I finally got around to getting it from Paul last night and watching it. Uh, Those guys had some real serious points on there uh, about this thing being a false flag, and uh, they had some very valid points about why isn't anybody dying? The the severity of that vinyl chloride, evidently, when it's the other things we might not know or excuse me involved is uh, one of the byproducts is mustard gas okay and uh it's like the guy was saying in world war one when they released mustard gas they you know it, it's low to the ground and it'd go across the terrain and it'd get over in the trenches remember world war one was trench warfare and he said if any of that gets in your eyes your ear or touches your skin you're dead period and none of that's happened that i've seen in uh, the uh, palestine area um we've seen trump go in there with no mass no hazmat stuff we even saw believe it or not i don't know if you guys saw this booty booty judge or butt plug judge or whatever the hell his name is was over there uh yesterday i think day before walking around with no mass no nothing with his little, you know, security detail and all that. Um, I was listening to first, you know, I was thinking the other day, I hadn't heard anything from Jim Willie in a coon's age. And then a uh, interview with Jim Willie popped up, uh, with SGT report. I listened to it last night and this morning. Uh, he's got a client that lives evidently the plume went more over Canada than it did over the U S it kind of went to the northeast 
And, uh, of course, then if it's that deadly, now it's an international incident with another country, not a whimper. Um, that is in the middle of Amish land, and, of course, Amish land to the east there in Pennsylvania. Uh, Willie said he's got a client that lives up in, of course, now, Willie, you got to remember Willie's from Pittsburgh, which isn't too far from that uh, area. And he's got a client up in northwest Pennsylvania, and it's a big farm. And the guy said for two days after the incident, there was no squirrels, birds, or or anything uh, around wildlife. And after two days, they came back out. He said the food bins that they had stocked up didn't get touched for two days. After two days, they all came out, and the birds were flying around, and the squirrels were jumping from tree to tree. So uh, there's a lot of big questions about this, folks. A lot of big questions, but it's very uh, okay. Hold on, Abram. Let me just finish. I I think this little video was uh, well. These guys they weren't whippersnappers, and they seemed to know what the hell they were talking about. Okay, so uh, there's a lot of questions on that. Abram, what you got? I was going to uh, comment about the uh, chemical weapons with World War One. Uh, one of the lessons is uh, they're always worthless because you can't control the weather, or at least you couldn't then. And uh, this might end up backfiring and blowing back in the direction of your own troops. Well, I'm going to uh, tell, you know. tell you what. I don't know about World War One, but I can tell you it's backfired on their asses. Right, because uh, if they're you know they're pushing for communism and they they, uh, they they the chemical weapons went up to communist Canada, you know this is like they're killing their own people. Well, well, Abram, you'll be interested to know this. One of the things that they talked about quite a bit in there is, you know, these these guys always do something to set something else up, okay? Sure. And uh, it seems that, of course, the Rothschilds have, have controlled the railroads since they first started building railroads. They virtually built them all, okay? Sure. So they're very adept at railroad management, obviously, okay? And uh, this company, uh, I, I think, I don't know if it's a chemical company, but for sure the train goes right back to Vanguard. They've traced it right back to Vanguard. So we've, we've talked about that earlier. Uh, it's been mentioned this week, but evidently they run the cables for the internet in railroad land right away. Wow. Okay. And, and that particular little area is where the trunk runs that connects chicago to new york as well as washington dc and their speculation was is this being done to set up the excuse for the crash right and and for the uh, the internet will go down and suddenly everyone needs a digital id because right. these hackers these hackers win and uh, they they ruined it for us. Right? And, and billions of dollars. Well, the other thing is what Willie was saying on this interview this morning. All of the big banks are bankrupt. And that's right. what's going on right now. I, I'd encourage everybody to go over to BitChute and, or go to SGT. Report. Where is the noise coming from, please? Please, who's got the mic open and screwing with the damn phone? Please. We got a wonderful format here, but it tell you, you guys want to be personally responsible, and you can't even keep your mutes off. Please, um, I would encourage any of you to go to the uh, sgtreport.com or go over wherever you can find it and watch this Jim Willie interview. It's uh, Willie's a sharp character. Okay, you know this, the central bank. 
digital currency thing, like they have a solution, Roger, and it's airtight if, if the people will accept it. You know, it's, it's, it's the central bank digital currency. They will just transfer all their liabilities from all the, uh, you know, the small accounts to the central bank, and then they'll keep all the business accounts with the banks, and then that'll just work seamlessly. Well, that's why I suggest you listen to Willie. Willie says they've already failed. And well, uh, that that ain't going to happen. There ain't going to be no sig- uh, uh, digital bank currency. They can't get it together. There ain't going to be any bail-ins. And uh, that the BRICS countries now control 70% of the trade on the face of the globe. Well, that's good news. I mean, I, I agree they've already failed. But, you know, their plan is is fantastic, right? People are already aware of this, you know, you, they can't have their solution, their evil plan. People can't be aware of it before they implement it. That's right. Because if they are, then they're going to – you know, they've already lost in that. Well, I mean, yeah. you want to take this back a couple of years. It appears that they were supposed to start this COVID schedule in 2025, two years away. And because of the global awareness and Trump and all the other ingredients, they pulled the trigger earlier. Remember, when their timeline and their event line merge, they got to make on-the-spot decisions, and that's when they make mistakes. They don't have – I agree. Yep. Yep, I agree, but I, I would also argue, though, that uh, the plan was supposed to happen with a uh, the attack on the Wuhan military games in 2019 in October, the same weekend as Event 201, the same weekend as uh, well, I guess two, there's a, the same the following weekend the Israeli uh, embassies all shut down, and uh, that's the reason that it's called COVID 19 because it was supposed to happen in 19, and uh, they would we wouldn't have any of this information in any of the courts because. When they attacked all the militaries, it would be an act of war. They would have came up with a new Al Qaeda. You know, logically, it would have been white nationalists that uh, that did this, of course. And then they would have traced it back to the CDC and so on because they have this paper trail from from these. And uh, you know, uh, this guy named Oli Damagard. If anyone wants to look at it, maybe I'll put it in the chat. And uh, he tells the story. And uh, I, I was there that day. You know, I made I called a couple people I knew in my family and said, hey. There's going to be a false flag attack, 36 targets in uh, in 36 cities all over Europe, and uh, nothing happened. And then so my family still to this day says, that one time you you called us and said something's happened and nothing happened. You were wrong. Right. And uh, yeah, they love, no, they love to rub your nose in it, don't they? Not understanding any of the parameters, right. any of the forces at work or any of the, right. you know, any of that. But arguably, this fellow, Ole Damagard, he's the man who saved the world because when he when he killed this one and, uh, you know, put the, the spotlight on this this uh, super 9-11, I mean, it would have been way worse than 9-11 for millions of different reasons. Uh, we, we wouldn't have had a fighting chance this whole last three well, years. So. Uh, I do know these guys are in big trouble. They're being exposed all over the place. Now, Willie says Ukraine is the key to the whole thing. And the, one of the reasons they're fiercely fighting for Ukraine is it's the bank money laundering center of the world. And if they lose that, they lose their laundering center. Roger, I think um, Brandt is having trouble. Really? I think so, too. He hears, he hears you um, talking, but... But he can't speak. Paul, the he, wizard. Yeah. We need wizard. Wizard boy. I didn't say lizard. I didn't say. Wizard. I didn't say lizard boy. I said wizard boy. <laughs> okay. Um, well, it's because Jitsi starts freaking out at thirty people, 
and everybody insists on using PPN Studio when Studio 2 is there and Free Conference Call is there. But they come into PPN Studio until it screws up, and then they move somewhere else. There's the problem. Stop it. He's in PPN Studio, but we can't see him. He can hear us, but we can't hear him. So, Brent, if you can hear me, I'm going to bring you in on Skype. Okay, sir. There we go. We'll see you you in just a moment. Wizard Boy comes up with an option for us. (laughs) Okay, while we're getting Brent hooked up on Skype here, where else can we go? Has anybody got any comments this morning? Well, Skype is going to be kind of rude. I got some. I got some. Okay, well, that's all right. I got some good news. One second. All right. I'm going to put an SGT report link in with uh, Ole Demigard. Okay. about this okay, show. SGT. Well, I like Willie. I was having communications with him for a while, and uh, uh, trying to get my information across to him. And just like everybody else, especially these financial guys, you can't get their minds settled down for fifteen seconds to even broach the damn subject. You know, and here it is. Everything they do. Hey, Roger. Wow. <laughs> Brent, you need. To reset your computer. Where? What is? Where's Donald Duck? Is that is that Daisy Duck or Donald Duck there? Hang on, let me try. We're having. We got more problems this morning than a Chinese trigonometry teacher. (laughs) Oh my goodness! Yeah, it's got to be reset. There's an audio compression going on there. Where? What is that? Um, what what that is? What that is is um, Brent's system is uh, he's got something screwed up on his sound channel. Brent, you need to restart your computer and then try and come back in again. Okay. And uh, just in case that was my end, I'm going to restart my Skype. And reset both of my sound channels. So we'll get this bagged. We'll get it figured All out. All right. Okay. Well, while we're bagging and figuring, anybody else got anything that uh, that I can understand? You don't sound like Daisy Duck or something on there. Hey, Roger, what was the argument that uh, that they were making that the digital currency has already failed? Well, the fact that well, I don't know. You have to go back and listen to the Willie thing. Him and Sean are bantering back and forth. I don't. They can't implement it. How are they going to implement it to everybody all of a sudden? All these uh, homeless and everybody else, all of a sudden you're going to have a, an account and everything you do is dependent on an account on your cell phone? You think that's going to work? They don't have the penetration to do that yet. Certainly. That's was, a good point. Okay. Yeah. But, you know, uh, in, in 2021, in January 2021, they, they had a uh, digital account created for everyone who has a bank account in the United States. They uh, It was supposed to be implemented by then. Yeah, which is interesting because that's like uh, two weeks before my bank closed my account and gave me the boot. Okay, well, I I just I think they're falling on their faces right now. Uh, my personal opinion, uh, they can't do any of this stuff in the light. It's all got to be done in the dark, and they're right in the spotlight right now. Okay. Uh, plus, you've got uh, the other countries of the world are about fed up with them. Uh, Japan, China, and I think Korea are dumping bonds and buying gold. Uh, 
you got a lot of forces against them internationally that we're not aware of, people like Willie are. And that's why I say go listen to that interview. It's a good interview. It's not long, about a little less than an hour, but it's very good. Was it from yesterday or uh, I just got posted this morning. first time I saw it. Okay. So, uh, anyway, and like I said, I hadn't seen anything from Willie in a while. I used to be a big follower of her, of his. Uh, so it's good to see him pop back up on the scene. He's been doing a lot of personal cons- consults. I'll tell you what he says, buy gold and silver. Buy gold and silver, and when you got a little bit more money and time, buy some more gold and silver. Okay? Hey, Roger. Yes. I, I have a question. Uh, if, if you would, if you did your passport application with the affidavit, is there any chance that they'll still put you down as a U.S. citizen? Shit, how do I know? I don't think so. Uh, I have no idea, Anthony. Um, I don't think, I don't think, uh, okay, there you go. There is that, uh, (laughs) Uh, uh, There's no way to know what goes on internally. The best indication we've had is Dave down in Orlando getting a hold of the guy from the passport office and him telling him, we're getting so many of these, they're having to hold classes to teach people how to to process these correctly. Correctly being the key word, I think, there. So... Uh, for the most part in all these years, I've never seen an instance where they didn't, Joe, but they may, okay? Okay. You know, somebody went through TSA, and they asked if they were on a do-not-detain list, and the TSA told them, or TSA told them no. Well, they were not. Well, that might not be in the TSA database. It may be in the sheriff's databases. See, these are the things we don't know. Okay. I, I I can see the difference between those two uh, entities uh, and how and they're going to respond to nationals. I heard somebody talking about Ann, Ann Vandersteel and the fact that she doesn't get any TSA checks now when she goes through airports. I don't know whether that's true. It's hearsay. But uh, I, I just don't know the answer to the question. All I know is this is the system. This is the way to get out of it. They should recognize it, especially internally in the bureaucracy. Okay. Mm-hmm. But what was interesting was the guy said that they were just sending him through, and he turned around and asked them. He said, hey, does it, am I on a do not detain list? And they said no. Well, he should have asked him. Am I, well, why didn't he ask him if he was listed as a national instead of do not detain? Oh, he did. They said that he was down as a citizen. Well, then uh, he needs to send more affidavits in, I guess. I don't know. Okay. So, uh, we still fooling with Brent, I guess? I guess. Okay. Yep, for the moment. All right. Well, well, Joe, all right. I, Joe, I wonder if your friend sent in Roger's affidavit. Hey, Roger. I, uh, I think it's interesting that uh, the, the gentleman from uh, American Samoa, uh, his call was on two twenty two twenty three. so it makes it really easy to uh, go back and listen. I guess Mercus yep. said he was on yesterday, but he didn't say anything. I exchanged an email with him, got his email address down. So, uh, right, he was on a, yesterday. He said he was going to get on today too. What a uh, what a uh, what a gift to t- Tatuli is. I think that's it, isn't it, Tatuli? 
Um, Detuli. Okay. Well, I'm sure that I'm sure that his name has been mispronounced for 31 years since he's been here. I'm sure he's probably. I just used call him Tattoo Lee. Just <laughs> call him Tattoo Lee. That's good. Tattoo Lee. That's pretty good. A guy yeah. named Lee with some tattoos. Tattoo <laughs> Lee. <laughs> well, hopefully he doesn't have any tattoos, but good for him, and that's a good memory peg. Uh, where else can we go this morning, kids? While we're waiting for Brent, somebody's got to have something. To Roger, say. this is Andy, Minnesota. I got a question. Okay, Andy, how are you doing? You called in on the RBN show the other night. How are you, Andy? I'm doing pretty good. I was talking with a buddy at work about all this stuff, and he was really concerned about things like uh, having his bank assets frozen. And um, he says, I mean, his concern was that even though I get out of the system, they still have access to all this other stuff, and they can still mess with you. And still do stuff to you anyway. Well, they, just all to right. Be well, you ask him why in twelve. Guess, all right, Andy. Andy, you tell him in twelve years, I've never had one example of that ever. Anybody reported to me, so you tell him that. Tell him to drop his paranoia. He shouldn't have his damn assets in the bank at this point anyway. If he's got any sense in any assets, he'd have had them long out of there. So those are a couple of addresses to his concerns. But with people like that, I mean, what do you do? Hey, Raj, guess what, guess what, guess what, guess what, guess what? Uh-oh, is Mr. B here? <laughs> Brent? Yeah, I'm here. Oh, listen to those dulcimer tones. Hey, Brent. Hey, how are you, Roger? Oh, I'm pretty good this morning, tap dancing, waiting for you here, covering a bunch of stuff. Yeah, well, people want to have an opportunity to air their points of view and Whatever, and I heard some of what you were talking about. It's so far removed for most people to think about what it means, which you and I have talked about a lot, what it means to come out of her. What does that mean? If we want to know really what that means, there's only one place where you can get the unadulterated message on the subject and that is to go to the inerrant word of god there is no other place to go you can look at history and find examples but our observations are always colored by our biases and they're colored by our whims and difficulties that wind us up and bind us up and the only way to release yourself or to be no no you don't release yourself the only way to be released is through the saturation of god's words I had a guy say to me two or three days ago, he wanted to talk, and we'd been trying to get together with him for a long time, Sheriff Dar and I, and down in Texas. He wanted to talk so bad, he found us on the website, and he said, he said, uh, well, I'm not into, I'm not into just uh, academic stuff. I said, well, if you're not, you're, you're going to fight very hard and die very quickly, as the saying goes. And that's what I see a lot of people doing. They want to jump in and do things, and they don't know don't know squat from straight up or sick them from come here. And the Bible doesn't say to jump in and do things. And I'm reminded even in the New Testament, by the time you get to the book called The Acts of the Apostles, that the first thing that happened was they they sat in a room for 10 days and did nothing. That's the first thing to do when you face a crisis, unless 
there's an immediate threat of life and limb, you better just sit still and do nothing till you ascertain the lay of the land and what's going on. Paul the Apostle was three years. That's a long time. Ten days is a long time to sit and do nothing in one room. But he spent three years in the wilderness by himself, doing nothing but contemplating by chewing what we call today the Bible, what he had of it, by chewing it like cud. And only then, now the fellow called Patrick, he's called Patrick, St. Patrick. He wasn't any more a saint than you and I and probably less so. Nice fellow, though. His name wasn't Patrick. That was a name that Rome gave him later. His name was uh, Sakat, Sakat from Banavern, Banavern on the northwest coast of England near the border of Scotland. He wasn't even Irish. But when he finally, when the light finally went on in his head, his father was an elder of the British church before the Roman domination in the very early centuries. The light then, what he had been taught as a boy once he was taken into slavery in Ireland, him him and his sister were playing on the beach like young children do, and along came some boats and there was a man leading a bunch of fellows in boats. His name was O'Neill. He was an Irishman. And he was a slaver. Low-down, scummy, egg-sucking, mangy slaver. Mean S-O-B. Son of Lyle. And he, he just took uh, Patrick, or who called Patrick, Sakat, and his sister. Sold them into slavery in Ireland. He'd sell anything for a buck. He was hauling he was into hauling wolfhounds too. Sold him into slavery, and then his master was a hog herder. And he used to sit out in his little hovel at night with his master and discuss reality. And he had learned a lot about the Bible as a boy. And finally, in his condition, he said, in his condition, sitting in that hut while it was drizzling rain, and him looking out over a herd of hogs down in the valley trying to stay dry, finally dawned on him that the reality of what the Bible calls the gospel, uh, that it had to be a personal appropriation to him, to himself. Did somebody say something? Uh, no, I think somebody didn't. I know, was it? Oh, well, anyway. No, that so, was me. I'm just promoting uh, co-hosts uh-huh. and conference, and that unmutes him when I do that. I'm playing, oh. paying no attention to the small man behind the curtain. Oh, okay. So, well, at any rate, um, he decided what he was going to do, and he hopped uh, another another ship. He went as a stowaway in another ship of wolfhounds going back to Europe. He wound up on the continent of Europe, and he spent 17 years, 17 years preparing to do what he wanted to do, which was go back to Ireland and bring the truth to those piratical, vicious, cannibalistic, pedophile people, sex perverts, you name it. That's what they were. Well, of course, all of our ancestors are that way at one point, not to, not to put ourselves in any better category, but he decided he wanted to go back to Ireland and he wanted to evangelize those people. He wanted to bring the truth of Jesus Christ to the Irish, and he did. But he spent 17 years in preparation. 
And if you're wanting to jump in and kill all the rattlesnakes and kill all the demons and kill all the pedophiles, and you haven't taken time, and I said to this fellow also, not only do you have to take time to learn, but if you haven't taken time to subject yourself willingly to somebody else, you'll be as worthless as tits on a bore, and you'll die very quickly too. You say, well, I can't find anybody that I agree with. Well, I don't, I don't care whether you can or not. You find somebody you can learn something from, and you subject yourself. Because if you haven't learned to subject yourself to someone else, who teaches, then you're not going to mount a, a pinch of dried owl manure. And if you've ever seen dried owl manure, you'll know what I'm talking about. I'll let you go look it up. But just to say this, owls don't leave much after they eat it, and they eat everything. So you don't mount much. It takes that. And they say, well, people abuse you. You know, I read the story one oh. time. Well, the best Somebody going to say something? Or no, I said, no, I was just uh, commenting on people will abuse you. Go ahead, please. Oh, they'll abuse you. If you subject yourself to them, they'll abuse you. Oh, no question about that. But if you don't do that, you're not going to be worth anything. Well, if you're not humbled, somehow you're worthless. And humbled means humbled. I've talked to people who are prisoners of war in Europe. And they, when they move them from one place to the other, as the allies move forward, some of them family members, they move them forward. And I'm talking about my family. And, uh, when they walk through those crowds of the German people, they, they hung their heads down. They put their hands in front of them and they walked along and hope they didn't get hurt too bad because they were using lead pipes and spitting on them and kicking them and whatever else. Now, I'm not making a judgment about who was right and wrong in that situation, but I'm making the point humility is necessary and humility is ugly and it has to come hard. I think of John Knox, John Knox, the leader of the reformation in Scotland, the Pope of Rome at the behest of the Pope of Rome sent the French fleet to get him and his comrades and bombard where they were held up on the East coast of Scotland. Uh, they took him prisoner for four and a half years. He had a heavy iron collar around his neck. He was a galley slave on a French warship. His friends were dying. And I'm not exaggerating. Read the account that dying like flies would die around him. He had no hope that he would live through it. The disease, the lice were so thick, cutting their teeth on his hide and his hair. Didn't have a bath in four years. Just eat whatever trash and filth they gave him to eat to keep him rolling. Couldn't couldn't talk back, couldn't strike back, couldn't fight. And when you're put in a position when you can't fight the enemy that you want to fight, and and the only thing you can do to survive is hang your head and take it, well, then you've been humiliated properly. And when that happens to you, then you might, you might be worth something. But the lessons of the academic lessons have to come first. The uh, humiliation then has to come. And the Bible promises that for every person born from above, that's what they're going to get. If you haven't gotten it, brace yourself. But it's for your own good and for your own betterment and for your own glory because nobody, nobody can God lift up, nobody, unless they've been beaten down till they're nothing... Nothing's left but a mud hole 
and then turn around, somebody beat it dry. And then when you get up, you might be worth something. Brent. I'm not exaggerating when I'm saying that, and I'm repeating what the Bible says. All I'm doing, go ahead, Roger. Brent, on the you, you take us back to the antiquity there, but in the modern era, did you ever have a chance to hear Colonel Jack Moore? Sure. Oh, you have. Sure. Well, there's a oh, modern yeah. day. There's I've, a modern I've day example. Jack Moore for, for years. What? There's a modern yeah, day example right. of that. Yeah. Yeah. For the for the no, audience, Moore, you, you, well, go ahead and tell us back. Tell the story. No, you do it, Brent. Well, Jack Moore uh, was a a World War II veteran. He received a field commission from General Patton. He he, he himself uh, just a young fellow that joined the army during the war, and then he went on uh, to Korea, and he was involved in Korea before the Korean War. Don't call it a conflict. It was a war. Um, people got killed. That's called war. Yeah. Conflict, nothing. My gosh, when you're shooting at people, they're trying to kill you, and you're doing all you can to kill well, them. That, that's, that's war. That's war. Yeah. Don't use politically. Roger, go ahead. What's no, that? I said that's war. I'm agreeing with you. Yeah, don't use politically correct speech. It's war. Vietnam conflict, that wasn't Vietnam conflict. That was men slaughtering each other like hogs. That's called war. Why do men do that, by the way? Why do men kill and offer themselves to be killed? Because of their deepest held convictions. Can you imagine it being anything but your deepest held convictions? That's why we say all war is religious. Don't let the evil empire lie to you and say the religious wars are the worst wars. No, all war is religion. And all war is God's business. And wars are fought over, over disagreements about the ultimate question among mankind, which is who is the lawgiver? Who's the final decider of right and wrong in individual instances from whose decision there is no appeal? Well, Jack Moore went to Korea and uh, he began to notice there when he was in Korea and, of course, communism was the the enemy, and that's what we were being told, and Americans were being taught, and I was taught that, Roger. Oh, those, me too. It was those, and I, yeah, well, you know, they talk about the damn Yankees. Well, then that got transferred to the damn communists. That was all one word for a long time, <laughs> and the Cold War had commenced, and he was in it, and, of course, then he was in the Army, and the Army officer at that, officers at that time were being told, of course, and being taught, and they were teaching their troops what communism was. They were trying to identify the enemy. You know, men like that fellow that uh, uh, John Kennedy, Jack Kennedy, dismissed from the command of the troops in Europe during that, well, just before he was killed. Why did he dismiss him? Because he, uh, Jack Kennedy was a bozo. He thought in his youth and stupidity and, not, and false religion, whatever else he was involved in, uh, unlimited sex, he really thought that if he'd be nice to the commies, he could learn to get along with them. That was his attitude. Oh, man. Just stupid. And, of course, his protege or his mentor, one of them was FDR, and his whole family worshipped him. And uh, But John or Jack Kennedy, just call him Jack, he, he was one of the biggest supporters of McCarthy when McCarthy was doing his hearings against communism. 
Uh, he was from, uh, and by the way, their families were inextricably bound together. Uh, McCarthy was godfather to some of the Kennedy children. Is that right? And uh, Jack Kennedy, oh yeah, Jack Kennedy was in strong support in Massachusetts, politically, of, uh, against the communists on the surface. On the surface. Why was he? Because all of Massachusetts and all of the country was against the communists. So Kennedy had to, that's what politicians do. Was he against the communists? No, himself, we know from the policies of his father, himself, and his family, they were communist sympathizers. But they couldn't come out and make it look that way. So that what they did with the right hand, they tried to undo with their left. It, always politicians, if they're really into it heavy, they play both sides of the both sides of the pan of the bass and the tenor at the same time, both sides of the harmonica, and you and they're like uh, chameleons. Well, Jack Kennedy was that way. He fired that fellow in Europe. Well, that fellow is the one that came back to before he was shot to Texas. He was from that part of the world, and he published wanted posters of uh, President Kennedy all over Texas. Thousands of them had mug shots of him on the front. Now that's how much our country has changed. He had no fear of doing that, by the way. You do that today, they'll take you to federal prison. He did it, said wanted for treason. Jack Kennedy had his picture up there. And uh, the confusion, of course, was over the top. They eventually framed him and tried to convict him of uh, pedophilia, that general. Why Why did Jack Kennedy dismiss that general? Because that general was trying to teach his uh, the, the men under his command in Europe at that time we were occupying Germany, trying to teach them about communism and the dangers of communism. Well, Jack Kennedy said, "No, no, don't do that. Let's don't let's don't antagonize the communists and make them mad. I, I think I can get along with them. See, let's all be let's all have a love fest. That's the old left wing wacko love fest. Let's all just get along. What are we fighting about?" Can't we just get along? You know, getting along with the left means you do what they say exactly. or they'll kill you. That's what getting along Exactly. That's all it is. When Jack Kennedy was president, we had a fellow here at home who was uh, running for U.S. Senate. And uh, he lived in a little town that he said was the center of, of, George, of what George Washington dreamed in his dream. You know, George Washington had a dream. Mm-hmm. And in his dream, he dreamed that America would be encompassed by their enemies and they would be reduced. America would be reduced to a small tract of land in the center of the country. And this fellow that ran for us Senate believed that he lived in a little town that was that center. And, um, he had it pretty much figured out and he built there. He had a lot of money in this little tiny town in the middle of nowhere where we had a lot of money because he had uh, his family had land that had oil wells on them, <laughs> lots of oil wells. And he had gone off to World War II and become kind of a local hero. He was a fighter pilot. He came home. His family was blessed with money, farmland, and oil. And he uh, then went into the business selling uh, headstones for, well, that was just a side thing. But because when you do something like that, like a funeral director or selling headstones, you get to know everybody and they become your friend and you try to help them. And he was a guy that could do that. And people loved him. And he built a replica right outside of that little town, a replica of Mount Vernon, uh, where George Washington's plantation home, but he built it not to the same size, but half again, larger, Hmm. beautiful structure. I've, I've been in it and I've seen it. I've talked to him. He's gone now, but he built this building and he had a, had it all around the grounds around it all fixed up and he had it fenced off 
and um, um, uh, um, Everett Dirksen, who was senator, was the minority leader at that time, talked him into running. Oh, and, and Barry Goldwater, by the way. Barry Goldwater was really the one that got after him and said, of course, he was senator from Arizona. He said, I want you to run for U.S. Senate. And so he, they talked him into it, and he started running. That's what, This is what happened. And he had he was holding seminars at this place he called Mount Vernon and uh, about patriotism, teaching people about communism, all that kind of stuff. And then he had a fence around it, and then he built uh, cabins for people to come all over the country, and they could stay on the grounds and have these seminars. That before Internet, and seminars were big. And he published a lot of literature and wrote a lot, and other people wrote a lot. And then he began to to uh, have firearms training on the on the grounds, you know, everything legal, uh, marksmanship schools, all, the NRA uh, involved in all that kind of stuff. He was doing all that. They talked him into running for U.S. Senate. He did. He had the means to do it, and he was very popular. And uh, the press asked him, well, what do you think about uh, President Kennedy, this or that? He said, uh, no, he said, I'll say with Goldwater and I'll say with Harry Truman and I'll say with, with Everett Dirksen. Well, Dirksen didn't say it. Truman and Goldwater said it. No man ought to be president because his father, uh, made fortune stealing, uh, money as a official of the American government. And that's what Jack Kennedy's father did. He became uh, a, a millionaire many times over as when he was ambassador to, ambassador to England. And uh, stole American money, just raked it off the top, and made a fortune. And that's how the Kennedy family really catapulted themselves on the backs of the American taxpayer. It's called, it's called, uh, well, it's, he should have went to prison for many years for doing that. He didn't because he was under the Roosevelt administration. That's right. And that was the connection. And that was the connection to the connected for the first meaningful time, um, the, the, the presidency and campaigns for the presidency with Hollywood because Jack Kennedy's father was mixed up. He wanted to be big time. Here he was, Irish organized crime, what it amount to. And he wanted to get in the big, the big set, be the powerful man in America. And he got all mixed up in Hollywood. And that's how the connection came between he was the one that connected FDR with Hollywood. And then when other people were running against him, he had all Hollywood, Disney Corporation and all the, all the movie producers making movies and cartoons supporting his presidency that people would watch before television. Well, that's how that all, and then supporting the war. Against Germany, something of course Henry Ford would have never done. They tried to get him to do it; he wouldn't do it. Right. Well, that was that was the Kennedy family that brought that connection right. between Hollywood and, you, and politics. Do you know what his first job was after Roosevelt took over? Before the ambassadorship, he had another key position. Do you know what that was, Brent? Uh-huh. He was the head of the new <laughs> SEC. The new agency overseeing the stock market. There you go, oh. right there. Okay. Yeah. And those guys, yeah, they were just making arbitrary decisions, didn't know their butts from a $17 also, bonds about the economy. Uh, also, but, on what you're saying about the connections to Hollywood, have you ever heard of a uh-huh. conglomerate named RKO out of Boston? Uh-huh. They're the, the, the chain, the chain, the flagship stations, WRKO in Boston and, uh, mm-hmm. RKO, if you remember from the movies where they had the old AM radio tower and they'd have the yeah. waves going yeah. out to each yeah, side. I remember that. Okay. Sure. Uh-huh. Well, the K is Kennedy. 
Yeah. Oh, I get what you're saying. Well, that and that explains too the why uh, Jack was when he was in the White House was bedding all the movie stars, including Marilyn Monroe. That was the connection. And uh, so they were living the high life, living high and wide, and and that's just them. And the reason I focus on them because like like Abe Lincoln, they have become the focus of Messiah worship. And it's wrong. It's evil. And it, that kind of thing, that kind of attitude destroys our effectiveness. Um, I know I'm a sinner just like the rest of them. That's not the, that's not the point I'm making. The point I'm making is no matter who you are, whether you're Adolf Hitler or Jack Kennedy, uh, or, or, uh, DJ Trump, let's get these guys in perspective. And I recognize that God is sovereign, not them. And we and shouldn't we, be fascinated with all of their evil and shenanigans. It's not, it's not the thing to do. Go ahead. What's that? Go ahead. Roger, I was gonna say, uh, George ahead. Washington also. Um, I, I, I know all you, of them. All you, of them. you've taken this Go off, or, you know, off on a little bit of a sidebar, but, uh, back to Jack Moore. I just wanted to plant that so we didn't forget. Oh, that. thank you. So, <laughs> well, yeah, Jack Moore and he dismissed this guy and, um, but that was the, the mania of what was going on. But Jack Moore oh. get, got to looking into communism, which was a popular thing to do among the officer corps and the men. Uh, in our military. Why? Well, we were all over the world. What were we fighting? Germany? No. Japan? No. We were fighting communism all over the world up until Reagan. All over the world. I can tell you for sure. And the commies were trailing us everywhere we went, whether at sea or on land. It was uh, over the top. Unbelievable what was going on, really, to be in the middle of it, to be able to see it yourselves. It's just shocking. So he said, who are these people? Who's behind this? Like Henry Ford said. And he said, well, the Bolsheviks, they were talking about the Bolsheviks. He said, well, who are the Bolsheviks? And he, he himself was raised as a, as a Baptist in America and a Christian home, a Baptist home. And he said he discovered that the Bolsheviks was an ethnic, an ethnic designation of what Henry Ford called the, called international Judaism. And it was, of course it was. And Lenin was of that persuasion. It's a religious persuasion, friends. Religion, not race. No, religion. Uh, Romanism is the devil's masterpiece of religion. False religion. Judaism comes pretty close. Islam's another one. Those are the three big ones. There are many others under a thousand different labels. They all say fundamentally the same thing. You can bootstrap yourself into favor with God. That's what they say. You can bootstrap yourself into favor with God. Go read the gospel records. What did Jesus Christ said? You, he said, you, who? The leaders of Babylonian Judaism. You encompass land and sea. That means you go everywhere. You got your folks everywhere in the world to make one proselyte, one conversion, one person of another race to become a Judiac, to become a votary of Babylonian Judaism. And when you do that, you make him twice the son of hell in yourselves. Well, they were doing it then. They were doing it before then. They're doing it. They've been doing it ever since. Why? Because that's what false religion does. Why? Because once you get people under that influence, you can skin them 17 ways from Sunday of all their money, of their sexual virtue. You can destroy them. You can live high, high and wide on their expense. And that's what you see going on with all this shenanigans about trains and, and, uh, poisonous gas and Ukraine and, it's all shenanigans, friends. 
If there's anything I've lived long enough to see and it's come home to me with a full force of a 12-pound sledgehammer between my eyes is, it's all a damnable lie. Whatever else it is, it ain't the truth. So why waste your time? And every time you think you figured it out, the devil's smarter than you are. He'll change the labels and he'll flip the exactly flip the situation and start talking about something else. That's exactly what they do is they change yeah. the label. Yeah. They change the label yeah, to you know. same concept, different label. Our people chase it oh, every yeah. time, oh, every yes. time. Like, like dad, we used to shovel, we used to shovel the manure out of the, out of the West barn. We had two barns. Dave and I'd be out there. We were boys. Dad said, well, these boys need to learn to shovel manure. So we'd back the, Manure spreader. It was a ground-driven manure spreader, the kind you'd throw stuff in, and as you, the wheel, as the wheel turned, the wheels turned, had two wheels. Then that would drive the the gears that would sling that stuff everywhere, you know. And we'd be in the barn scooping that stuff out, and you'd have to dig it up, and it gets old and crusty, and then it gets piled up, and then it gets well, it gets pretty putrid underneath after it seals over top, you know, all the mold and everything growing in it, and I. I uh, was behind my brother and he was already out there working and my job to get my carcass out there and grab a shovel and go to work and start chopping, digging that stuff out of there. And I walked around in the West door of that North side of that barn. And right when I walked around, he threw a shovel full of that stuff into the, <laughs> into the, well, he thought he was throwing it into the manure spreader and hit me right smack in the face. Oh, he laughed so hard he fell down. He couldn't handle it, you know. <laughs> well, at that point, I was young enough. I started laughing, too, and it was pretty funny. that He didn't aim to do it, you know. I knew that. But uh, we'd turn that stuff over, and Dad, I said, Dad, every time we come to scoop this stuff out here, it stinks worse. And he said, that's the way that kind of stuff is. And people will go back to these dung hills. He, 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 he explained all this to me. They'll go back to these manure piles and they'll dig into them and they'll turn that stuff over. And it's the same old filth that they've been turning over for decades and centuries. And every time they turn it over, it stinks worse than it did the last time they turn it over. And people are fascinated by it and they gather around and want to smell it. And that's what you see going on right now in the Ukraine. That's what you see going on in Ohio and all a lot of other places around the world, all the excitement and what it does it generates a lot of money for people that don't have anything else to do but use words to try to skin people out of money and they draw your attention away from things that would really make you a powerful person a powerful person but you're wasting your energy on that kind of manure and tripe now what's why i come back to my thing jack moore i don't want to miss that roger because uh you'd started out so jack began to look into it and he said i see who these who these people are this is a matter of religion Communism is religion. This young army officer who'd done pretty well. Communism is religion. Well, before it was over in this little town he was in, the commies showed up and took him prisoner. This is before the war started. He was the first for, right. for the audience. He was the first person captured by the communists in the Korean conflict or the Korean yeah, War. And of course they, yeah, they weren't friendly people and they're pretty brutal and course he was tried for his life and sent to, for for a firing squad and fortunately he had befriended the chief of uh, the, the law enforcement chief of police in this little district and if it wasn't for that he wouldn't have been sprung 
but he was. And do you know? Then he came home later. Let, let me add, let me head. add something, Brent, because I I, I I remember him telling this story. They would mm-hmm. take him out. They sentenced him to death, and they would come in yep. and give him his last meal and let him smoke a cigarette or whatever. And they'd take him out into the uh, yard, and they'd have the firing yeah. squad there, and they'd go ready, yeah. aim fire and all of the triggers would fall on empty chambers they did it to him 12 times yeah trying to break him down mentally and yeah and that in korea of course you know that that was uh that was where we really encountered the the nazis didn't have anything on these these international communists the nazis frankly the Nazis treated American prisoners relatively well compared to the, because they did have some Christian sensibilities about them, whereas the, the Japs had none. And they uh, did whatever they wanted, and they saw Americans as an inferior race and cattle. And I can't say that the Nazis took that point of view because we were substantially, of course, of their Same people. race. Yep. And they, yeah, they recognize, and they recognized that in the English in, in people, the British people as well. And they really didn't want to. It's a long, ugly story how that happened. We know who orchestrated all that. I understand all that. But back to the point about Jack Moore. So Jack, eventually, he got home, and he devoted himself to being an evangelist. And he traveled after that, after that, a kind of, as they say here at home, a jack-legged preacher. That means a lay preacher in America or here where they call them jack-legged preachers. I don't know where that came from, Roger, but that's what they call them. And... Uh, he did that for a long time, but the more he did it, the more he realized that the practical problem, if, if communism is a religious point of view, and it is, it is, no question, it's a religious point of view. That means it goes to the deepest concerns of human existence. That means it's worth killing over, and they do, and they've kill, been killing people for years, still doing it. And it's amazing. Of course, now in America, amazing, oh, be not amazed, brethren. I talked to college students. I was in Missoula, Montana. A year or so ago, and I stopped in a restaurant, and I, traveling down the road and stopped and, to eat. And the guy waiting on me, n- nice young man, had a little baby, said, I always talk to people in restaurants, Roger. I pump them for information. I, I like to encourage young people. I talk to young people. Hey, you got a family? You, or you got a girlfriend? Yeah. Well, you're going to marry her, ain't you? Well, yeah. What's her name? You know her name? Okay, you know her name. That's enough. Ask her to marry you. Quit fooling around. <laughs> oh, well, we're we're living together right now. For, you're living together? Well, dude, you're married. You mean you're bedding this girl? Yeah. Oh, you got a baby together. Oh, yeah. But we're not. Oh, no, 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 no. You're married. Let's look at the Bible's point of view on this thing. Matter of fact, you're committed. You better not leave her. You better stay with her. You better take care of her. No, I talk to them that way because they haven't heard. Most people, a lot of people, haven't, they haven't a clue what God has put forth as his standards that will enable us to be powerful people. I'm talking today, Roger, I'm talking about what it takes to be a powerful tool in the hands of your maker. What it takes. It, it takes, takes hum- humility. And Jesus Christ is in himself set the example. Humility? Oh, they beat him half to death, totally innocent, beat him half to death, stripped him naked, spit on him, pummeled him with their fist, laid him down on a wooden post and nailed him to it, and then stood it up in a hole so people could come by and gawk at him, stark naked, dying of asphyxiation. That's humility. 
He was humiliated and he couldn't, oh, no, no, he could do something about it. But he chose to submit himself to ultimate humiliation. And do we really think that we're going to avoid some humiliation? Are we going to not suffer humiliation as Christian men and women? No, no. God promises that he will bring it to us. He promises. He said your own household will become your haters. That happens a lot. It happens all over. I see it constantly. I, I, I'm a Christian man. I worship Jesus Christ. I, I want to do what he says. Oh, don't be so religious. You've gone over the top with that fundamentalism stuff. They don't know what to call it. I was in a meeting not long ago, a business kind of a meeting. And there was a woman there over 90 years old. And she started in on me about, uh, well, do you, uh, you live in some kind of a, a religious community or something? Oh, she hated me. And she hated my client. And my client was some of her kinfolk. And uh, she hated my client, hated my client's family, but they were all family, you know, extended family, and hated me because I was helping them. And I could tell when uh, she was asking these questions that she was attaching her hatred for her own family, uh, some members of her family, to me, which is normal if you're the person that represents them. But I recognized that, and it, it was those, the words were spoken in sincerity and utter stupidity. Uh, are you so stupid? I thought to myself to make you, obviously you hate me and my client, but are you so stupid as to exacerbate that hate? Do you not understand what God is going to do to you? Number one. And do you not understand what my client can do to you? And the answer is no, they don't get it blind as bats. And all of them, I don't care how well connected they are, will be destroyed if not in this life, most of them are. I've been noticed. I've noticed. But in the next, God, I wouldn't want to be in their position. My, my God will judge them without mercy in the end. Without Still, mercy, friend. With, 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 with un, just a minute, Mur, Mur, with unbridled righteous vengeance. And that's the only kind he permits. And he's the only one that has authority to do that. And he'll do it. Uh, he'll do it. Uh, go ahead, Mur. Thank or you. Roger, whoever. Thought. No, it was Mur. Yeah. Oh, I was just going to say, yeah, we'll we'll have to reap what we sow. And uh, was this, pardon my ignorance, Jack Moore, M-O-H-R? Yes, yes, okay. M-O-H-R. Now, wait a minute, wait a minute. Uh, Gordon wait. Dwight Moore, right? It was called Jack Moore. Now, Roger, I don't know that you're right, but if you're sure you are about the spelling, I'll I'll go with you. I, I am, I but his he's got it used to have a whole page on Pete Peters uh, Scriptures for America dot org that was devoted to Jack Moore. I don't know if it's still there, but I remember that was the spelling of his name. Um, so I'm going to add a little bit to what you were saying. Brent, he, I didn't know he was doing out and preaching. Okay. After he got back, but after he got back from Korea, that was when the John Birch society was founded against communism. And because he would been released and been through this and was the first person taken by the communists, he became a John Birch. He became the premier speaker at John Birch society. Okay. And he was doing a national mm-hmm. tour. He was originally from Little Rock, Arkansas, and he was in his hometown mm-hmm. speaking at a John Birch Society meeting, and that was the first night that he mentioned Zionism and Zionists. 
halfway through mm-hmm. a national tour and they he by the next morning he was kicked out of john birch and yanked off the tour mm-hmm. and then he really began to understand how deep-seated and how much intrigue and double speak and false organizations there are out there politically and it takes a long time to get deep enough into the deep state where you begin to understand that roger i want to drop a footnote here if i may though sure, real quick sure. a caveat uh, i have uh, people who care about me and uh, and help me and one of them said to me recently you know be careful when you talk about jack kennedy because um, he did do a lot of good things he was wanted to get rid of the federal reserve and he um, of course he uh, withstood and went against the Archbishop of New York. I remember all that. And he did all those things. That's true. And, uh, uh, and that's why they killed him. Well, I don't, I'm not convinced that's why they killed him. Again, God is in charge of life and death. And regardless of who his tools are, God, the maker of all things, either allows or wills everything that happens to happen. If he could, if he wanted to stop it, he could. However you, the theologians will characterize it in one of those two categories, and that's all there is. But in either case, it comes out the same way. And you can't bed women as hard and fast as he was doing it and try to run over everybody you come in contact with, including the people that put him in office, which was the mafia foremost out of Chicago mm-hmm. with 20,000 ghost boats. No question that's what happened. You can't turn on them after they put you into office and expect to live. And he turned on them, appointed his punk kid brother, who was hardly out of law school, attorney general of the United States. That was an insult to everybody in America. And then he went after, ordered his lawyers. He didn't do it. He didn't know what he was doing. He ordered the lawyers who were experienced and capable to go after the very people that put John Kennedy into office, Jack Kennedy, as they called him. Uh, that's that's what got him killed. I don't think there's any doubt about that. Talk about the Federal Reserve. They were involved in manipulation, but at the bottom line, that's what happened. And if I'm wrong about all these things, if I I wouldn't be saying them, saying them if I thought it was wrong. I, I'd have egg on my face, and people have warned me and let care about me, my friends, and say be careful. And if if I'm merely mortal, if I'm wrong about these things. Then I'll uh, eat crow, but I don't, I don't see that I am, and I know I don't. I don't want to be near that family or people like that. Amen. Uh, they're well, dangerous. They're darn dangerous. Go you're ahead. more right than you know. But he was also bisexual, queer. Once you see it, can't unsee it. And they didn't kill him. They took him off to well, a Polish-speaking area of Russia. They did the same thing with Nicholas, the Romanovs. You know, it's a whole different story than what we're told, but it's similar. The Romanovs, what they do to the Russians, just like they're doing with Jack Kennedy to Americans. They're putting him up as a god. Well, I won't go that far, Murr. I'll just let you say it, but I won't go that far because I'm not convinced of that. But um, well, I, can send you I wanted to put forth my, my point of view. Yeah. Um, I can send you some yeah. things that might sway your opinion. Well, you can tell me things, but there has to be evidence. And you telling me, you may have seen the evidence. I've not seen it. And I've... I have a policy of not not uh, affirming anything until I have persuasive evidence in that direction. I have none. And if you have some, that's different. I've never seen it, and uh, I would have thought it was surfaced by, surface by now, but I don't know everything. Well, there was, well, it but has back, surface. Back, back, back. It has surface. But if you, if you 
you know, if I send it to you and your uh, whoever's taking care of your email deletes it, you know, what's the point? So, <laughs> you know. No, that's true. But um, even even if you send it to him in the email, that's that probably wouldn't persuade me because that's not going to the sources. And anything can be sent on the Internet. We believe a lot of things or hold to a lot of things we see on the Internet, and that's really utterly meaningless. Well, there are uh, Because there we, are haven't, we haven't seen but we haven't seen the best evidence, and the best evidence is in the original documents. And then we have to decide whether or not the original documents are what what they profess to be. Is there anybody who can testify to these documents? That's the question. Because all evidence to be valid, to be even admissible before a jury, and we're the jury here, um, has to have test- oral testimony to substantiate it under oath. Um, it all comes back to oral testimony. And you say, well, I have this, I have that. No, we got to have oral testimony. If we're going to go that far, and we're talking here about ultimate questions. And that's why, for example, we have the Bible, and the question of the Bible is, what the Bible is, uh, is it good ev- are the manuscripts good evidence? And if the, the laws of our, our common laws of evidence are applied to the ancient manuscripts of the Bible in their original tongues, we discover that the evidence under the rules of evidence that we've hammered out over centuries that are also consonant with the rules of evidence the Bible presents makes it overwhelming that you would be blasphemous to deny the evidence. And that's what Jesus Christ says over and over and over. If you won't believe the evidence, you're not going to believe me if I raise somebody from the dead. The Babylonian Judaics came to him and said, if you be God or the son of God, and they use those kind of terms, then you give us a sign from heaven that we'll believe you. He said, look, if I gave you a miracle, which I've been doing, if even if I did that, if you're not willing to believe the writing called the prophet Jonah, just as an example, then you're not going to believe me, even if I raise somebody from the dead. Because this cruel and crooked and evil generation of men, generation of men, that means men that have been generated. And they're still, and they're still out there. That energy has not played out, friends. They're, the generation persists. That, that evil generation of evil religion. He said, if you don't believe, you're always looking. He said, an evil generation of men look for a sign. But they won't believe the sign God gave them. What is the sign God gave them? It's this book, this collection of 66 writings, this recordation of oral testimony. And the badges of its reliability are overwhelming. There's not not another ancient piece of literature that even comes close. None of them. But yet, people question this and believe the Roman historians, of which we only have a half a dozen manuscripts, like Tacitus and Josephus, which there may be some truth and is some truth in some of those. There are substantial historical reality you can find in there, but the badges of their reliability, weak by far and away, compared to the manuscripts of the Bible. Coming back to Jack Moore. So Jack comes back to America, and yeah, he, he became an evangelist. But the more he was an evangelist, the more he kept coming back as a Baptist kind of a guy. And I, I don't know whether he left the Baptist groups, but he was that kind of a guy, if that kind of puts a, a picture in your mind of what he was. He, just your typical Midwest uh, fundamentalist kind of preacher. Not a Pentecostal, but just a fundamentalist kind of Bible preacher. Well, in time, he kept coming back to, well, what is, what's the root of the problem here in a practical way, not a theoretical way? And it kept, he kept coming back to the Bolsheviks. And he began to just talk about it. And then as he got older, he talked about his experiences, which were pretty traumatic, as Roger pointed out, in Korea. 
And uh, then all those people that were pushing Bolshevikism, that word's not used anymore. See, they, they keep changing the label, oh, yeah. don't they? Go look up the word Bolshevik and see what it is and where it came from. Maybe that'll tell you something. But it hasn't changed. They just changed the label. See, that was the popular label back in the 20s and 30s and the 40s and even into the 50s. A little bit. We still know what it, we still know are familiar with the word, but it's 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 dropped. We don't use that anymore. But he went back to that, and he began to speak more about that. When the John Birch Society dismissed him, um, he said, "Wait a minute, something stinks here." I know when I got into politics, Roger, and I wanted to. I wanted the NRA endorsement the NRA National Rifle Association. I wanted the National Right to Life endorsement. I wanted the State Right to Life endorsement. The organization. I wanted the state. Rifle Association, which was an arm of the National NRA endorsement. I never got any of those. I was the biggest gunner on the ticket. I won the, the, um, the three-way um, primary and just tore them up. Well, people knew who I was, the only reason, but I did. And I was pro-gun, of course. The NRA, oh, yes, yes, come and talk to us. And they talked and talked and talked and talked and talked for months, for a year or two. And then finally, at the very end, endorsed and paid for for uh, ads for my opponent who had voted for Clinton's gun bill and all oh that stuff God. and voted for abortion and the, the NRA supported him. And then I, I was in the Washington DC one time and I was sitting in the headquarters, of the NRA. And I went in there with my wife and I was sitting in a table in an outer room. They said, the man will be out here to talk to you. And just, Oh yeah. I had to go through about three heavily locked doors just to get in. It's right on Capitol Hill there, but I had to go through three heavily locked doors. I got in, I sat down, and uh, he said, we'll be out. No, the man will be out to see you in a minute, and we can talk to you. And we're sitting at the table, and Susan said, man, I got I to gotta go to the girls' room. I got to drain my radiator. Uh, and uh, I said, well, you just walk out, and they'll tell you where it is. No problem. These are friendly people. You know, I figured they were on our side, right? And she walks out, and uh, I wait a little bit. Pretty soon she comes back, and, and uh, she says, uh, we got to get out of here. I said, what do you mean we got to get out of here? Come on. We came all the way here. We got to talk to these people. And they said they may help us. And no, no, you don't get it. These, she, I remember the words. She said, these people are not going to help you. They're not going to help us. And I said, why, why, why do you say that? She said, if you saw what I saw just walking through there, all I saw was a bunch of, I almost said it. I didn't say it. But I saw some bunch of sodomites. That's what I said. Oh, okay. Well, I said, I'm going to hear him out, and then uh, we'll talk when I get out of here. But keep your mouth shut, right? Let's don't talk anymore about it. And I found out later that a lady named Tanya Mataska, go look her up, Tanya Mataska, uh, was appointed the uh, head of the NRA. A lady? No, that's an understatement of the century. No, a lesbian whore. Uh, they all are if they're lesbians, of course. But was uh, and uh, she was running the thing. Now here's how what they do. And I found the same thing was true of National Right to Life. Um, what what the evil, see the evil empire never starts organizations. No, the no. evil empire only hijacks churches, universities, Bible colleges, political action committees, oath or uh, oath bound offices. They hijack them. They don't start them. They can't. They don't have the wherewithal. That's right. They take them. They steal them. And they, they take the NRA, they take the national right to life, they steal it, and they say, okay, now we got it. We got control. Listen, there's $6 million coming in every year. 
if we make it obvious what we're doing and who we are, the money's going to stop. So let's just keep this thing rolling along and act like we're doing something like Jack Kennedy, talk the Harvard line, like the intellectual over here, like we really know what we're doing, like we're against communism. And with the other hand, buddy up to the commies. Yep. Well, that's what they've done. And that's the way it always works. And you want to know what's wrong with the government in the United States, state and federal? Same thing has happened. It's going to happen. It's inevitable to happen. It always happens. What's our job in the midst of all this madness? People say, one guy said to me, that guy down Texas said to me the other day, did you know? I want to know if you know this. He said, did you know that the, none of the state governments in America and the, the national government is not a common law government anymore? <laughs> I said, no, I didn't know that. As a matter of fact, as a matter of fact, it's not true. That's a damnable lie, and you're distracted by stupidity. He said, what do you mean? I said, listen, people are acquitted by juries every day in America. That's fact. People are hijacked by stacked juries every day in America, too. The president of the United States is a, he's insane. He's as worthless as, no, he's, he's not worthless as tits on a boar. He's dangerous because he's so nothing. He's a, as the Bible says, son of Belial, a son of nothingness. He's empty. He's empty as a blown bladder. There's nothing there. The evil empire, useful idiots are having a heyday. They're running everything. Yep. Well, that's true too. But don't tell me we don't have common law governments in America. We do right now. The machinery is solidly, solidly in place. And the useful idiots of the evil empire don't understand the difference between our machinery and the machinery in France and Bolivia and uh, Russia and communist China and Korea. They don't understand the difference at all. And because they don't understand the difference, they're taking our machinery and they're trying to use it to an evil purpose. And sometimes they get it hijacked, but a lot of times they don't. And even the office of the presidency of the United States, the offices of governors, people say, well, they've taken all these people anyway and killed them, and these are all clones set in. Well, if that's true, it's, uh, uh, what, if it is true, what difference right, right now does it make to the poor guy who's sitting on the high, hot seat and he wants trial by jury or he goes to jail away from his family for 20 years? No, he, he wants a jury trial. Let's try to give it to him. Let's try to adhere to the process of our common law. And how can you do that unless you've taken time to learn it? You've spent some time subjecting yourself to other men or another man or something. And you've spent some time in humility. Oh, don't have to worry about that part of it. God will bring that to you. Here, here's how that works, friends. You say you're a Christian man, Christian woman. Okay, here's what you do. Uh, you stop and do nothing and just try to learn some of the laws of nature and laws of nature's God. That's the first step. Don't be, don't try to go to battle until you've been to boot camp, at least. Go to boot camp. <laughs> It'd be better if you got a little bit of more training so you know how to load the blasted rifle. You know how to wield the sword of the spirit. If you don't do that, you're nothing but a liability to everybody else that is in this life and death struggle. I will, I won't have anything to do with you. I told this guy yesterday, he was telling me how he, uh, what his religious background and stuff was. And without saying what it was, I just said, look, I don't. I don't, I don't have anything to do with people like that because well, I'm in battle. Uh, I want to be in battle with other people that I think have a sense of what's going on. And if push comes to shove, they might be able to save my life in this situation. And they're loyal. An ounce of loyalty is worth pounds of power, friends. It's loyalty. 
and a little bit of knowledge. You know, going to boot camp just introduces you to the idea of combat. It really doesn't prepare you for it at all. Then they send men to infantry training in Fort, uh, what's that place? Fort Riley, Kansas, or yeah, that place. I think that's one of them used to be. Or they send you to other places. Try to get you a little bit acclimated. Then they can send you to further training. They can send you to ranger school. Whatever the case, if you don't go through some friends, you're nothing but a liability to yourself and a liability to everybody else. So I'm coming to a very distinct point here, friends, and Roger. Look, I've given myself to teach people what I've learned just pass along what others have taught me and what experience that God has taken me through. And it's been a rough experience. It could have been rougher. I could have been Jack Moore. I wasn't Jack Moore, but I've been to a lot of stuff. Jack Moore has been to, I don't even want to talk about. And I've been through some of that stuff. And now I've, I've humbled myself. No, I didn't humble myself. No, no, no. You don't humble yourself. God will humble you. God has humbled me to some degree. I thank God it wasn't any more than it was. It was, it wasn't pleasant. And now we're teaching about Magna Carta. We're teaching about grand juries. We're teaching about juries. We're teaching, call it boot camp. You better go through it. You know, when people go, men go through boot camp, they have two parts. When men go through all their training, there's always two parts in the American armed forces. There is the academic part and the practical part. You get both, but it's still not the real war. And the motto of, now not the Army, the motto of the American Navy is the more we sweat in peace, the less we bleed in war. That's not an official motto, but it's applicable to all of life. And get that into your head. The more we, the more we sweat in peace, the less we bleed in war. And another saying that's not official, but another saying is all sailors carry knives. Also, and it's true, it's traditionally, uh, I don't know if it's still true, it was at one time, also sailors carry knives, they'll either have a big one, or they'll have one of those issue pocket knives, really good pocket knives, Yeah, they on are. their belt. All sailors carry knives. We're going to say something, Roger? Let no, me finish I said this. The, those knives but, are great. I, I know the ones you're talking about, that was yeah, my comment. All sailors carry knives, but all all good sailors carry sharp knives. Well, I'd say all Christians, if you're a Christian man, you got any sense at all, you'll have Bible around. But a man that's prepared for Bible has something that he knows something about what's in it and he knows how to use it. You got to know how to use it. What good is it? The Bible says it is the sword, the spirits, sword of the spirit. That's possessive in Greek and in Hebrew. We say in English, the spirits, the gumption breath, God, the spirit sword. That's what he uses to make split personalities out of people. Wax them up ugly. <laughs> and that, friends, neighbors, and kin, is what you have in your hand, and he will use it, not you, but you have to know how to let him do that. So let me, let me back up, Roger. Here's what we want to do. We're teaching a class now in Magna Carta. People say, I don't like you, Brent. You're too forceful, you're arrogant, and you, you think you know everything. I've had people say that to me, of course. But if you teach anybody and you know anything and you act like you know, they're going to say that to you. Maybe you're saying it. I don't care. I told this fellow the other day, I don't care if you say that to me, but here's what I want you to do. I want you to humble yourself or let God humble you and submit yourself to teaching, even if you don't like me. And even if you don't like what I say, I will give you facts that will stimulate your thinking and help you come to your own conclusions. And that's what I want to do. I've had lots of teachers, Roger. I've had Jewish teachers, Roger, Babylonian Judiacs, 
uh, sit under their teaching. And uh, they were nasty people. I remember some of them. I had other people that weren't Jewish that were nasty too. I'm just saying I had some like that, some well-known men. Uh, they taught me things that were wrong, some of them. But because they taught me things that were wrong, I at that time learned what they really believed and what the problem is. And when you listen to me, you say, well, I don't like you, Brent. You're just a dumb hog farmer from near Terre Haute, Indiana. You've been wading manure too long. And it's, it's, it's got, it put ants in your attic and bats in your belfry. You're too brick shy of a load. Well, whatever. But I'm, I guarantee you, I can guarantee this. Guarantee, as old Justin Wilson used to say, Roger. Guarantee. I guarantee. Well, I guarantee you. You take this class or any of the classes we've got. We've got a lot of them available there on uh, uh, common law courses, common law of evidence, common law of due process, common law of contracts, common law, of, uh, how to draft a common law trust. Um, and then also we're teaching now Magna Carta clause by clause. We're doing that. We intend to teach a class on uh, the legal history of America, American legal history. How the law has affected America and the struggle we've had in America over the law of the land and the law of the city, where it came from, why we're still fighting it. Know who your enemy is. Do you even know? Or you say, oh, some people, conservatives, fundamentalists say, oh, the enemy is uh, the Roman church. Oh, yeah, that's what it is. That's what the fundamentalist Baptists say. Then you got other people say, no, 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 no. The enemy is Babylonian Judaism. We've been Judaized in America. That's the enemy, not the Roman church. The, that's the enemy. Oh. Well, is it that? No, other people say, no, it's the Masons. It's those secret societies, Knights Templar, Masons, all those fellows. That's the problem, and that's what's behind all this mess. Man, they've got the arguments, and you go look at all the three groups that teach those things, and they do a good job of laying out that particular false religion, but then they conclude that that's it. Now, wait a minute. Wait a minute. What is it? What does the Bible say it is? The Bible says that it is Babylonianism. Uh, Judaism is Babylonianism. Romanism is Babylonianism. Islam is Babylonianism. And they're all three and all the other isms and schisms that we wish was wasms are un under those d thousand different labels are all fundamentally the same thing. They are the law of the city uh, exemplified today most pronouncedly in the code of Justinian, the law of the Roman empire it's all there. And what do we need, need to do to combat that? Study the law of the Roman Empire. Study Masonic uh, lodges. Study their doctrines. Study Romanism. Study Babylonian Judaism. No, a thousand times no. What do we need to study? We need to study the truth so that we recognize the stupidity of that and the danger of all that other tripe and trash that is out there. And if you don't know anything or don't know much or want to learn more about the laws of nature unwritten in the nature of creation, our common law, our law of the land unwritten, and the laws of nature's God written in the Bible, then come take these courses, submit yourself to teaching, and learn what you can, prepare yourself. You're in war, do you not see that this is a life and death struggle? Look at our nation, friends. Look at the demons dancing around, goofing and laughing and grab button and having fun and living high and wide and telling us that uh, you, we got to defend Ukraine. I don't care. I don't care about Ukraine. Why should I? I mean, I care. I don't want them to go down the tubes. I hope they see the light. 
I'm not God. I can't save Ukraine, and I can't even contribute to it, seeing the confusion that the evil empire has put upon that place by that filthy little sodomite that they got for a president and all the hype that Joe Biden's putting into it and all of Europe. I'm not interested. What am I interested in? I'm interested. DJ had this right, Roger. America first. I'm interested. We cannot help them, friends. That's right. If we don't help ourselves first. And we're dying. And they're trying to drag us, as the book of Jude says, they're trying to drag us into the fire thinking we're going to be the saviors of the world. It ain't going to happen, friends. What does God want? God wants nationalism. He makes the Bible, the laws of nature's God written, make that clear. Let's be Americans. Let's protect and defend the Lord, the land the Lord our God has given us, and then protect and defend. That's as a member of the militia, being willing to take up arms. Uh, then protect the law of the land by willingness to serve on the jury, understand what a juryman's job is, and understand how, wh- where the jury came from. Understand what your duty as a grand juror is. This guy was saying, man, you're, you're just into academics. I said, listen, friend, tell me about reality. Tell me about the battle on the battlefield. You tell me all about it. All, as I've heard it said all my life, you'll fight very bravely and die very quickly. Battles are not won by bravery. Is it a, something that comes up and is necessary? Yes, but they're not won by bravery. No, no. They're won by knowing, knowing who the commander is, knowing what the commands are, and following them out implicitly. That's what loyalty is. Men are not brave by nature. God puts that on you at the right time, but it's not your fundamental nature as a mortal to be brave. It's your fundamental nature to run. God can change that, but it's God working through you that does that. It's not you. You'll never find it in yourself to do that. Uh, So I encourage you to go to commonlawyer.com, commonlawyer.com, the website, find where you can join the class. And when you do that, you support us in what we're trying to do. I'm focusing more as life goes on on what I can do to contribute. I'm not God, but how can I contribute? And what I see now is that my contribution is that I want to contribute by training as much as I can people in the reality of the battle and what they're now facing and will continue to face and prepare them and encourage them, encourage them in their times of humility because God will humble you. He can't use you otherwise. Just like the humble boys in boot camp, the humble boys in training, that's what God does to us. Is it any different? Have we learned over the centuries that we must humble boys before they can be effective in, in, in battle? No, you have to. You have to. Uh, Roger, go ahead. I'll take a break. I was going to, you know, the other day, I, I think Sunday before last with Thumper, I got to use one of your lines. Okay. And uh, from what you said earlier about the Roman Catholics and the Judiacs and the Masons. And I'd like for you to tell the story to the audience that hasn't heard this about how they train the people at the treasury in counterfeiting. Oh, yeah, that's an important point. I'm glad you brought that up because I'd said a while ago, and I didn't flesh it out, don't give your time to trying to understand masonry, trying to understand Judaism, trying to read all the protocols of of the elders of Zion. All that's there, yeah, you might know something about it. Don't spend a lot of time with that. 
spend your time studying the truth and the people at the treasury and when they train them to, ex- to recognize the counterfeit article the counterfeit bill the counterfeit coin this counterfeit security they don't spend time studying any counterfeits they spend all of their time getting better and better and more minute and more adept at knowing everything about the real article. And if you know everything about the real article, when the creativity that nobody ever heard before about something, uh, some detail in the counterfeit pops up, you'll recognize that immediately and you'll know what to do. But it's the application of knowing the truth that enables you to avoid the counterfeit. And the evil empire enjoys dragging your carcass off to pay attention to all this trash out here. And I see this as what the patriot community is substantially made up of, talking about space aliens and and um, and uh, masons and and demons. And, and all these things are part of truth in many ways, yes. And I'm talking about Genesis 6 and the Nephilim. And, oh, is that truth? That's in the Bible. I can flesh that out in the Bible. I see that. And I can see it in the world. I understand that. I can give you examples of testimonies of reliable men of impeccable credibility in the early days of America that can testify to babies being born as monsters. John Winthrop, governor of the early colonies in New England. Yes, he's one of them. I'm making the point, though, even though I know that, I okay, I'm aware of it. What does God want me to do? He wants me to come back to the laws of nature and the laws of nature is God and look at that and know it so well that when the devil's a, he's a clever one, when he pops up like he did in the Garden of Eden as a snake, he pops up. That's something different, a different manifestation. Here's another manifestation over here, space aliens. Are there such things? Well, well, I don't want to talk about that right now. I'm just making the point there distractions you don't want to get off on and spend your time on that you want to spend your time on the word of god because knowing the truth is what will set you free my friends to fight listen i'm fascinated there is the law of the land that comes in two volumes the laws of nature and the laws of nature's god and then there is the law of the city unwritten and that's called our common law many names for it that's one of them our common law So it's the common law versus the civil law. That's comparative law. Now, the foundation in the modern world today, since the days of, since the fifth, since the Roman Empire and the the Roman Emperor Justinian, the highest achievement of the expression of the law of the city and the canon laws of the Church of Rome, same thing, is the Code of Justinian. Yep. The Code of Justinian, this is how much the Code of Justinian, that's the enemy, has always been the enemy to the English speaking world. Um, But here's how much people know about the Code of Justinian in the English-speaking world. Never, ever, has it ever been translated into English. Does that strike you as odd? There's one man that tried to translate it into English. He was an American. He was on the Supreme Court, a justice of the Supreme Court of the state of Wyoming. He was an immigrant from Germany that worked hard. He was very poor. He lived in Iowa. He he went to Wyoming in the early days. And in the 1920s and 30s, he got this bright idea. He said, nobody's ever done this. I'm going to try to do it. He had absolutely no training in Latin, no training in Greek. He tried to learn it. He translated the verbs all the same. He didn't know the inflections of any of the verbs. The translation is really ratty. It's really no good. But he tried to do it. That's the only effort that has ever been made. Do you think our founders or the men that we call our framers cared about the code of Justinian? They didn't even care. Not Did Tom Jefferson have a copy of it? Yes, in Latin. But 
that's not, wasn't his native tongue either. But we weren't out, and all of just a minute, Roger, and I'll finish this sentence. Uh, as English-speaking people for centuries, we didn't care about the canon law, and we didn't care, and we don't care about the law of the city. We've never translated it into our own tongue. It means nothing to us. But we've concentrated all these centuries on the laws of nature, unwritten in the nature of creation, our common law, and the due process, we call it, and the laws of nature's God, written in the Bible. That's where you need to put your effort. That's what you got to understand to be free. I'm quoting Jesus Christ. If you really want to be free, freed up. If you want to get out of the evil empire to come out of her, my people, that's what you got to, as a practical matter, friends, you got to do three things. You got to learn the law of God, Deuteronomy chapter four, verses one through six. You got to learn the law of God. Number two, you got to safeguard it from addition or subtraction. That's called keeping it keeping it safe. Number three, you got to obey it. You got to do it. And that's where freedom comes. Roger, back to you. Wow, Brent. I um, transition over something that just titillated me the other day. Um, got to see a new guy that I was very impressed with this past week. I wasn't familiar with him. His name's Michael Yon. He's a war correspondent. Unbelievable background. I mean, this guy's sharp, okay? And in the interview, he used a term, and he came back and defined it later, and I thought it was very interesting because uh, when you were talking about Biden and Ukraine and all that, it is what was on my mind. Dog king. Have you ever heard that? A dog king. No. No, go ahead. Well, the uh, the inference is, if you want to take it back probably to its earliest uh, origins, would be Caligula who made his horse a senator. And then oh, he, yeah. he, he was referenced. Well, he was elected. Roger, Roger, he was actually elected the horse. Okay. He put him up good. Okay, yeah. well, he, the horse got elected. Himself. He was a horse king. Oh, yeah. But but he was he's referencing. The only, he's the only office holder. He's the only office holder in the Roman government that never took a bribe. That's what he used to say. <laughs> <laughs> you telling me nobody tried to give him an apple? I don't believe you. Um, so uh, well, up in, uh, there was another incident in Russia where the guy stepped back and he made his dog the king and he had a crown on him and stuff. And, you know, the examples that he used and it just gives the concept across that Biden's a dog king. Okay. Zelensky's a dog I king. Get, I, get, no, I, <laughs> I just thought that was really interesting. Okay. These people are nothing but ciphers that are controlled by powerful men. They're just animals. They don't know what they're doing. I, I, I see that. The man is president of Ukraine. I saw a picture the other day. I saw it pop up on the Internet. I was doing some research. It was the anniversary, and a picture of the, the king of Belgium popped up. Leopold III mm. popped up. And he, there he's sitting there, a young man. He's got a handsome son of a gun, got his medals on. Never been to war, probably, you know, but they got all these medals on. You know, I, said, I looked at that guy, and I said, that guy doesn't know what he's doing. They, they give him this big position. He thinks he's entitled to it. He doesn't have any experience. He's never been beaten down. He's never been really disciplined. He's probably been sexually abused as a child. A lot of them are. And then they make him their leader. How stupid can people be? But if you do not focus on the laws of nature and the laws of nature's God, only in America have we really said in any meaningful way that we are not a government of men. We are a government of laws. And what are those laws? The laws of nature, unwritten, our common law and the laws of nature's God written. Uh, that's what our loyalty is to be, too. As a practical matter, that's what we got to know to be free. Are we doing that? 
Back to you, Roger. Caligula, um, you were talking about. Caligula, oh, yeah. Uh, let, yeah. Let me open it up to the audience. <laughs> Anybody got any comments or questions? Uh, We've Roger, pontificated for a few minutes here. Hey, Roger, this is Jay. I had a question for Brent to, to ask something that he mentioned earlier. Um, I was really interested, when Brent, when you mentioned that communism is a religion, and I've, I found that to be true with a lot of my family and friends who are they, they, they're not embarrassed about they're just like yeah I'm, I'm pro-communist I was wondering wh- how would you um, uh, kind of define the religion of communism I know there's the 10 pillars of Marxism and stuff but just as a Christian looking at the religion uh, we know that it's very anti-Christ it's anti-family it's anti-nature but in a, in a kind of like a nutshell how would you describe the religion this Babylonian cult uh, of communism, you know, in your own words. All, okay, uh, all false religion is fundamentally the same. It has a different lawgiver than the true lawgiver. That's all, that's the difference. Everybody's got religion. Everybody has a final decider of right and wrong in individual instances from whose decision he doesn't want to appeal. And I'll ask people, I do this often, uh, young people, old people, hey, you got religion? No, 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 I ain't got no religion. I don't, I don't go, I don't go to church. I don't, I'm down on organized religion. I, I didn't ask you that. I asked you if you got religion. Oh, no, I don't. I said, yes, you do. I always say, yes, you do. You just don't understand what religion is. Nobody ever told you. You never thought about it. Religion is your, is your response as an individual to whoever you deem to be the final decider of right and wrong in individual instances from whose decision there is no appeal. You may not call it religion. You may not understand it that way. You may say that Adolf Hitler is not the God of Germany, but the whole legislature of Germany put him in that position, just like the Pope of Rome, the final decider of right and wrong in individual instances from whose decision there is no appeal down here on land. And that's what they said about Adolf Hitler. And that's what every country in the world says about its government, whether one man or a bevy of men like a legislature. A gathering of us into a single will, the power to be the final decider of right and wrong. That's called religion. And if people are communists, they like the idea of government being the final decider of right and wrong in individual instances from whose decision there is no appeal. Government is it. They have no spirit, no sensibility to the God of gumption breath, the God of spirit. And they that worship him must worship him. How do you worship your lawgiver? You pay homage to him as the final decider of right and wrong in individual instances from whose decision there is no appeal. That's what they did to Hitler. Loyalty was not to law in Nazi Germany. It was to Adolf Hitler. When you swore an oath and joined the army, the navy, and all the people in Germany, you held out your hand and you swore loyalty to the will, the will, the single will of a man. And they had Christian sensibilities, so they didn't call him God, but that's what he was. He was God. And that is the very definition of Antichrist. John said, first epistle, second epistle, the word's only mentioned four times in the Bible. It's only in the Bible four times, Antichristos. He said, there are many Antichristos among you. There are many among us today. The, the, the boss man, the, the communist boss in China is Antichrist. He is an Antichrist. The Pope of Rome is an Antichrist. His very name in Latin, which is his official language, is the Latin equivalent of the Greek word of the New Greek New Testament, Antichristos, Vicar of Christ, Vicar Christos. That's Latin for Antichrist. Anti means in place of in the Greek tongue, in place of, anti 
mirror image of. We had a guy come on here last time. He was a chemical engineer, Roger, a week or two ago. And he said, you know, that's interesting. We have mirror image in, in the Greek words of uh, chemical engineering, I believe he said it was, right. anti. And he, he gave us the word. Anti means mirror image of, or we would say in place of vice president. That means in place of the president in case something happens to the president. That's Latin. And the Greek word of the New Testament is anti, antichristos. That's somebody that comes along and say, hey, hey, he comes along. He says, hey, Jesus Christ has given me all authority. All authority. That's what the Pope says. See? He's antichrist. Uh, Adolf Hitler, of course, he was given that. Uh, the, the, the emperor of Japan is their god, their lawgiver, their final decider of right and wrong. And when he walked, took that white horse and went down the street in parades, all the windows on the lower level, they had to be covered. Nobody could look straight at him. You couldn't. And all the windows even... And the upper levels had to be covered. And if anybody had a window that wasn't covered, they would possibly be killed at the discretion of the emperor because that person could have looked down upon him. No, you only looked up to the emperor of Japan, say, or you could get killed. That's antichrist. And so what's the difference between communism? And it's just one other label of the same old tripe. That, and here's what, for example, Hitler told all the all everybody his army officers the ss troops he gave them a copy of some of nietzsche's the german philosopher nietzsche's writings what was the theme of nietzsche oh god is dead well then who's god and nietzsche said god is government government is god walking among men walking on earth government is the final decider of right and wrong whose decision there is no appeal that's what nietzsche said that's what king james the first of king james bible fame that's what he said i am the final decider of right and wrong in england um, from whose decision there is no appeal i am the law and there have been people all over the country there are people in so-called protestant churches in america that take that position uh, you look at the government of a church and it'll tell you whether or not they have a clue what the kingdom of god is most baptist churches not all of them but most of them are dictatorships that's not doing it God's way, friend. Most um, Pentecostal, charismatic, Assembly of God churches are dictatorships. TV preachers, are you watch them, oh, they're dictators. They are antichrist. That means they are the final decider. They are God's anointed, they say. Don't touch God's anointed. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says if you have sensibilities and you're born from above, you have a new mind, a new soul, and you have a new way, a new way, that's called common law. Due process, the course of the way you live your life, the course of how you decide right and wrong, not the, not the end result. That's God's business, the judgment, the sentence, the verdict. That's God's business. What's your business as a mere mortal, a Christian man or woman? To live your life, to be on the course, the path of life, and to live it according to his way. That's what the Bible teaches us. That's what our common law is 100%. How we go about living life. How we go about deciding who's going to be president. The rules of election at a common, at common law that our, our constitution sets out. That's what the difference between it's, it comes down to who is your final lawgiver and the, the label communism. You know, we have people, what's this fellow's name wrote the book, Creature from Jekyll Island. G. Edward Griffin. He, yeah. Griffin, he said a lot of true things and I've met the man, talked to him and, and, uh, but he, he not being, uh, not being evaluating things from a biblical point of view, he's still just common sense as he comes to the right 
conclusions. He says, well, they're all the same. Uh, communism, and it comes under many different labels. He calls it collectivism. Right. Collectivism. Well, it's glad that he brings it all together under one umbrella, all the evil empire and all the different labels, but that's, that's weak and beggarly. Uh, collectivism, uh, what does that mean? I mean, define it. It's too hard to understand. What is it? It is Antichrist. It is a government by the single will of men, where all three powers of common law government, which a common law government are separate but equal, legislative, judicial, and executive, all three are separate and undependent upon each other, and, un, and none of those three have to do what the other says. That's common law government. What's right. the difference between that and the government of a single will, a monolith? that is never, has never a dissenting opinion in their courts and won't allow it. All of the world's that way, and communism is just another, another expression of dictatorship, emperorship. Right. Um, yeah, somebody said something. Well, I want to ask Jay. Jay, in a communist country, who, who's their god? Uh, I guess um, whoever the... The people at the head. Uh, Brent, Brent hit on it with Nitschke. Their God is the state. And of course, hiding behind that communist state is Satan. Yeah. Another deception. So they put okay. linen and they embalm linen, put him in a, a casket with a glass lid. And if you're a faithful party member, you can come by and pay homage still, to one of their gods. Still today. By no, the way, yeah. no, speaking, of, you know, speaking yeah. of G. Edward Griffin. Do you know who contracted G.F. G. Edward Griffin to write Creature from Jekyll Island, Brent? No, I don't. Huh? The John Birch Society to overshadow Mullins's Secrets of the Federal Reserve, where fingers were pointed at the Zionists. There's Thank no you, Zionist mention in the Creature of Jekyll Island. Well, if you want, for example, that's a good point, Roger. If you uh, listen or used to listen to Rush Limbaugh or listen to Alex Jones, you'll get a lot of good information. Maybe you'll pick up good information. He said a lot of right things, but there's some things he will not touch. Need I say more? It's the same right. thing with the creature of Jekyll Island. He said a lot of true things, but there are some things he wouldn't touch. Go ahead. Somebody start to say something. Yeah, Brent. Um, what about using uh, prophecy in the Bible? Uh, the proto-evangelium and referring to them as the seed of the serpent. Well, that's a fascinating subject, boy, I'll tell you. Now, the seed of the serpent doctrine, seed, a serpent seed is called in America, arose right next door to where I grew up down on the Wabash River there, amazingly. And uh, there's a fascinating connection. Between, he's the, the fellow that lived there, a little place along the Wabash River, him and his brother. They were a couple of hard-shelled Baptists. And uh, they were the ones that fleshed it out in writing more than anybody had in America up till that time. Their name were the Parker Brothers, Parker Brothers. And there's a connection between the Parker Brothers and the last, matter of fact, the last chief of the Comanche Nation, the last war chief of the Comanche Nation was grandson to one of those Parker Brothers. This is the connection. And the last chief of the Comanche Nation uh, was uh, Quanta Parker. Their name, his name was Parker. He took his mother's name. His mother, the Comanches, had murdered much of the Parker family. The women raped them all, which was their way of doing things, and that's the evil, false religion, and, and then murder. And then take the children, and uh, she became wife of one of the Comanches and and had this boy named Quanta, and uh, she was with him for years. And in uh, deference to his mother, he took his mother's last name, Quanta did, 
in the end of the story is uh, after the war with the whites and he settled down, he became a banker in Lawton, Oklahoma, and skinned the white folk ever uh, 17 ways from Sunday out of the money <laughs> using music. That really happened. <laughs> and, and, and by the way, the Star House, this is a fascinating story. It's called the Star House. He had such a nice big house there. He built all that money. It's called the Star House because on the roof, the shingles were put on there so there would be stars on the top of his house that star house it was falling down the last couple of decades and somebody bought it and they're trying to refurbish quanta parker's house but these fellows <clears throat> were told they had a connection with a fellow named travis who was famous from the alamo and uh, talked them along with 20 other thousand anglos to migrate to texas this is the parker brothers from from along the from what is now crawford county along the wabash river well they uh under the promise that uh, Mexico would uh, adhere to the, the Mexican Constitution of, I believe, it was 18, uh, 1824, which is very much like the American Constitution, by the way. The phrase is taken right out of it and put right into Spanish, and they promised they would. So the Parkers, along with 20,000 other Anglo-Americans, moved down there. Now, in, in, in Mexican law at that time, and still unwritten law today, it was against the law to organize a Protestant church of any kind in, on Mexican land. So what the Parker brothers did was they had their church organized up there, and then they moved the church. They said, we're not organizing a church here, and they just moved a bunch of them down there, and they built a fort called Fort Parker, Fort Parker, and since uh, East Texas. Of course, they woke up in the morning. There were 600 Comanches out there, and there were only a dozen men in the fort. Terrible, ugly story of what happened at Fort Parker. But uh, one of the Parker's uh, daughters, a little girl at that time, was saved. And, and by the way, that became the subject of John Wayne's best-known movie, movie called Searchers, The Searchers. And it was about a man, John Wayne, comes back from the war between the states, and, and they go after trying to find this girl that had been kidnapped long before and uh, natalie wood played the part of cynthia ann was her name cynthia ann parker what a story well anyway the serpent seed doctrine they raised there uh, when they were uh, living in crawford county and uh, the serpent seed doctrine said this as i understand it there are many different versions of it it says that the serpent in the garden had a sexual relationship with eve and they try to show that through um meanings of the hebrew words and then they say there was a race born and that race became the people today that call themselves the edomite jews now if that's true if that's true it is a stretch beyond stretch a stretch i'm not willing to take of the meanings of the hebrew words in the narrative of the book of genesis it's too attenuated for me to rest my fundamental beliefs on it i don't follow it for that reason but I'll tell you this, I'll tell you this, I want to say this. When I look at what goes on in the world, I look at the utter evil of some people, abandoned apostate evil. Uh, I look at Genesis chapter 6, and I followed that through as much as I can and linguistically and in, in, in nature and history, even up to the present times, and also the serpent seed doctrine, I followed that through. And I've listened to... The friends of Jack Moore talk about the serpent seed doctrine, Roger. One of them was a, I can't remember his name. I like to listen to all of them. But in every case, I listen, I've listened to them extensively. I've read their material. They try to lay it out logically, but there's a hiatus someplace in the connections and they don't put it together. And I can't put it together 
They don't put it together to my satisfaction, so I don't follow it. I can't find in the Bible that I can prove that. So I don't, I don't go. So that's what I think. (laughs) Well, go, yeah. That's what I think about it. Go ahead. Somebody going to say something? Uh, Could I ask you one more thing? Do you, do you believe in the uh, Khazarian theory or do you believe that our modern Ashkenazis are actually somewhat genetically related to the original? No, they're not. They're absolutely not. Well, I, uh, Roger, did you want to say more? I just want, yeah, I wanted to say, say, uh, you know, uh, I read an article when I first got into this and I was studying that area a lot and there was a guy in San Diego who was funded by Israel when they first started coming out with genealogical stuff and he started testing genealogically all the jews and he came back and published an article what i saw was published in the san diego newspaper okay 96 percent of the jews in the world are ashkenazi jews and they by the way when he published that they they defunded him by the way Oh, Roger, that now it may have been the same guy. I saw the article that came out of the Los Angeles Times, and it said pretty much the same thing, written by a fellow who was an Israeli, which is different than an Israelite, of course, an Israeli. And he said the same thing. But no, that the Canar and the, the book is called The Thirteen Tribes, and it's, it's written by Kessler, a uh, Judiac author, Kessler. Yeah, and uh, yeah, and it seems to be it seems to be substantially true from everything I understand well, in his who, him and his wife but, mysteriously died after he published that book. Yeah, and then come come to this people that are really the Israelis, for instance, they've changed over the years. They've never been able to come up with a law that would, to their satisfaction, sufficiently define how to be determine what a Jew is. They've tried everything. And nothing works. Why? Because as Jesus Christ said in the gospel records, you travel land and sea to make a proselyte. Even back then, they were making Jews out of people that had nothing to do with it, the, the nation Israel. Right. Uh, this has been going on since the days of Esther. I'm going to refer you to something here. Um, if you go, if you get the winterized version of the Bible, a common lawyer translates and annotates from the original times. Go to the book of Esther. I've got a head note there that's a mile long about the, how the book of Esther starts the Judaization process according to the pronouncements of the law of God in Deuteronomy. To do what? To do what God said he would do. What did he say he would do in the law of God? He said, I will obscure you. you you'll turn into some of the rottenest people in the world. This is in Deuteronomy. He said, and when that happens, I'm going to obscure your identity. Not only will other people not be able to discern who you are, you won't even be able to prove or discern who you are. Has he done that? Yeah, he's done that. The people that claim they're Jews today don't have, or they claim they're Israelites. Many of them know that's not true. A lot of them do. All the people in Persia, millions of people that follow Judaism in Persia will, Persia will tell you, and they celebrate it every year. Oh, we're not descendants of the man Israel, Abraham, Isaac, we're Israel. We're not descendants of Israel. No, we're Persian Jews. And that's why we celebrate Purim, which arose during the time of Esther. Yep. But if I go through there and I try to demonstrate in the Bible, I try to use the Bible. See, I don't try to go to history and read all the theories. The Bible tells us all these things. It starts by saying, in the law of God, I will obscure their identity. Is real Israel out there among humanity someplace? Yes. Uh, the descendants that are descended from the man Israel out there, well, without question, who are they? God has promised that nobody will be able to find out until he's ready to tell them. And right now, their identity is obscured because of the rottenness 
national rottenness and all that. People say, oh, but he, he says he's a Jew. He says he's descended. His name is Cohen. That means nothing. They've been changing their names for centuries. They don't care about sure their names. Is. They just care. The international Jew, uh, international Judaism wants to, they just want to live life and make as much money as possible. And if I have to change my name to do it, I'll do it. Uh, the, being actors and actresses is the part of the culture of that religion. Yes, How do I know Jesus Christ said so? Again, go back to the Bible. Whoa. That means, uh, irreversible doom. That's a Hebrew word translated and literated into Greek. Oi. Irreversible doom to you, scribes, that's a notary publics, and pharisites, because you are stage actors. You are thespians. This is your culture. Is it any mystery that that is their culture? And you know it is. I know it is. They know it is. That's what they do. It's their lifestyle. They can't stop acting like people they aren't. Uh, Hupokratos, woe unto you, scribes and pharisites, Hupokratos. Well, how do we translate that? We don't. The King James Bible doesn't even translate that word. It transliterates it. It tries to reproduce the sound of the word, Hupokratos. It's a Greek word. That was their word for stage actor. That was the Greek thespian's word for stage actor, and stage acting was big in Greece. Oh, what's a Hupokratos? I introduced Charlton Heston once at a big political meeting. I wanted him to support me. He was at the political meeting to support the fellow running for U.S. Senate. They had not yet appointed him as head of the NRA at that time, to give you an idea when that was. But he was very big on the Second Amendment, and that's why this fellow had him there. And they asked me if I would introduce him. I said, well, this is my chance to, uh, to, to say who Charlton Heston is, thank him for a couple of things, and hope he supports me. He ended up doing radio spots for me. But what I tried to stress was that uh, Charlton Heston has spent his life trying to, to show us that the world would be a drab place without heroes. It would be a world without heroes, a world without men that God has elevated to a position for a moment above mortals that we could look up to before they fell back to earth like the rest of us. Well, when he got up to speak, he said that he sent his little, his oldest boy to school the first day. And the first day in school, they did the little round robin. Who are you? The teacher said, tell us your name and what your daddy does.